Today, I want to talk about stress and how the patterns of stress, anxiety, fear, worry, how they really keep us from moving, not only from moving forward, but how they keep us from actually being in the present. And um, last week I was very ill. You can probably hear I'm still, I'm still clogged up. But I always learn a lot when I'm ill. So I want to share a little bit of kind of my reflections. And but I want to I want to really focus on stress because I think we live in a world where people a lot of the times are in a state of stress or in a state of busyness or in that state of overdoing or chasing the carrot or running after their own tail or at the very least even if you don't feel stressed this kind of mental loop of needing to be somewhere that you're not that you still need to get there and that there will make you happier than here and and I think this is a, a bit of a trap that we can all fall into myself included so yeah let's dive in and talk about these things This is Corinne Bloom, and you're listening to Raw Conversations. I heard this today, and I, I don't know who it originally who originally said this, but I really like this, that stress isn't what's happening to you, it's the way that you respond to what is happening around you. And a really clear example of that was I was on holiday a couple weeks ago, and I'd gone to the airport to fly back and it was just chaos. And long story short, I was in Sicily and Mount Etna had had a, a, a little bit of an eruption. And so everything was canceled. And so I was a bit like, uh, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? How, where am I going to stay? You know, there, all of those questions come up. And in the beginning, there's a little bit of an element of, you know, overwhelm or panic or stress but but this time around I I kind of just was you know there was a bit of overwhelm but it was like okay I have to decide what to do I can't just sit in the airport and I was really kind of trying to tune into my intuition and I amazingly got through to the Ryanair um agent which I just thought was never going to happen I mean I waited on hold for about 20 minutes but anyway long story short I sorted it out I figured out what I was doing and it all happened pretty quickly. And I was relatively calm. I was actually relatively calm. I was exhausted by the time I got back and I'd found a hotel and it was during the busiest holiday and and you know it was a bit of a a bit of a, you know, <laughs> a bit of chaos, let's just put it that way. But but I was I was okay. Now, two days two days later when I got my new flight to come back, at that point, I kind of really wanted to get back home and I wanted to see my daughter. I had been away for basically a week and I just was ready. I was ready to go home. So I was already kind of with this um, mindset that it's like, I need to get home. No matter what, I need to get home today. And so you could say there was an element of stress that was already there because there was a necessity all of a sudden, which is fair enough, right? It's, it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but that was there. Then, as as the universe would have it, it was like I, I the first bus that I was waiting for just either left early or from a different spot, but it never came. 
<laughs> and so I was already kind of half an hour later than I was anticipating, still fine, like still within a period of time where it was okay. Then that bus came and it came 10 minutes late, so I'm about 40 minutes later than expected. And then I got a bus driver that I swear to God looked and drove like a sloth. He looked like a sloth. You know, if you've ever seen the ki- the kids' film, um, oh God, what is it called? Madagascar, that's what it's called. There's a sloth in that, and I swear to God, this man looked like that sloth, <laughs> like an animated sloth. And two days prior when I'd taken the bus, it was like a straight shot from where I was to the airport. And this, I swear to God, he stopped at every single bus stop. And this is a specific bus that, you know, was meant to go to the airport, but literally every bus stop and, you know, every person that came on, it just took time and they needed to get cash out and they needed to put the, the luggage over here. And so I just really got myself into a state of stress because I'm like, oh my God, what if I get there really too late and you know the gate closes or there's mayhem because of the back you know the the backup of of flights and so I was already in a state of stress and it was a very unpleasant trip and you know I did get there a good half hour later than I should have and then I arrived to the airport and there's um, all of these people just standing on the sidewalk. And this airport had had a fire a couple months ago. And so one of the terminals was totally like it was coming. You had to use a tent, basically. So everyone is standing there. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> and, you know, I can feel the stress. I can feel the not knowing what is going on. You know, why are people just stuck here and people are stuck in the tent? And there's a part of me that's like, okay, you know, this is what it is and we just have to be here. But I could feel that underlying stress of, I need to get home. I need to get back to my daughter. Anyway, long story short, it it took just so long of just standing there and then finally get ushered into the tent. And once you're in the tent, you go through this little tiny tunnel and then through the tunnel, you know, then they have the security check and actually then you can walk through and you have to walk on the tarmac and then you get onto a bus and then you get onto the, um, onto the plane. So it was, you know, you stood there for about a good hour and a half, but miraculously the flight left on time, which is like, I don't even know how that's possible. And I really couldn't have missed my flight because all of the people that were in that kind of herd that was being cattled through, we were all on the same flight. And when I got on the flight, I was just exhausted and it was like arctically cold. And, um, you know, it was fine, but I really recognized how I'd kind of worked my, my body up. And then ironically, I get back home and two days later, I get really sick. Now, you know, there's so many different beliefs as to why we get sick. I'm believing less and less that it's actually contagion and more that it's um, not just environmental, but it's also what is your state of um, stress or relaxation, because it really has to do with the health of your cells. If your cells are healthy, you don't catch things. If your cells are not happy, uh, healthy, you tend to get sick. And what is the greatest cause of illness is stress. So I'm kind of not surprised, right? My body was like, Jesus Christ, you put me through the ringer there, Corinne. Thank you. Um, you know, yes, also it was really cold on the plane. And that that's a, you know, harsh change again for the body. The environment isn't conducive. And so um, the body reacts and ultimately illness is releasing toxins. Stress has a way of, you know, our, our cells, if you go into the work of um, Bruce Lipton or um, Joe Dispenza, our cells are conscious. They are constantly in communication and in community. 
And if anything puts pressure on that, it's just our body start, stops functioning so well. And we know that stress has a tremendous effect on the brain, on our heart, on our immune system. So stress is something that's really quite important to look at in our life. Now, why is it that we can't just say, okay, I'm going to choose not to be stressed and I'm going to choose that in the next, you know, scenario that might be stressful, I'm not going to get triggered or, you know, I'm, I'm not going to overreact or I'm going to stay calm. Why is it so hard for us to do that? Because a lot of the times the patterns of our stress, the patterns of our triggers which is a little bit of a different conversation, but it, it's worth including it here. The patterns of our fear, our worries, our anxieties, they are based on the past. We, we learn through kind of life experience what stress is, what anxiety is, what fear is, what abandonment is, what rejection is, what being hurt is. All of these things we learn and then the body stores it in our cellular memory. And then we tend to just replicate things in our life because that's what our body knows. So to really alleviate stress, it's not just about the present moment, it's the memory of the past. And then it's also about not going into the projection of the future. I talked a little bit about this in the last episode last week, which is really about if we're in the story of the past or in the narrative of the future, we're taken out of the present moment. And that's when we can create greater anxiety and stress and overwhelm and worry and all of these things. The here and now, you know, wherever you're sitting in this moment, most of the time, like you're okay, you know, unless you're in some kind of natural disaster or you've got a tiger chasing you. But even then, even in chaos, if you drop into a state of calm, it can be okay. You can be okay, even if chaos is happening around you. And if you've ever been in situations where that's happened, I remember traveling in my 20s and there was a a flood that was basically wiping a whole town away. And, you know, you, you, people, people kind of can make things work. There's a focus that happens. So there's this reminder that even amidst chaos, we can actually be okay. And what tends to not make us okay is our mind. Conversely, if you are in a place where you're totally safe, let's say you're in your bedroom, you're getting ready to go to bed, but your mind is going into the anxiety and into the stress of what is tomorrow going to be like? What is my day at work going to be like? What are all the things that I have to do and get done? You can be lying in your bed. You could be in like Tulum, Mexico in paradise. But if your mind is going into that state of stress and anxiety and planning and worrying of the future... And the comparison of maybe what that felt like in the past, you're not going to be in Shangri-La, right? You're not going to be in any kind of peace or retreat mode. And so it's totally a state of mind. It's totally a state of being. So, you know, we live in a, in a time right now where ironically, we're kind of in the safest period of history, but I would say the most stressed and anxiety induced part of history. And there's a lot of factors that are to blame for that. But I'd say the biggest factor is your state of mind, because I think our minds are incredibly powerful. And I actually think that we do have the ability and power to to shift things, to heal rapidly, to manifest, to all of these things. But it comes down to a state of mind. And it comes down to also our belief systems. So what do we do with stress? 
I was listening to this woman speak. I forget her name now. Sometimes I'm very bad at remembering names. I think her name was M- Emily Fletcher. And she was talking about how she's talking about meditation and mindfulness, and she has a whole kind of technique around it. And she said something that I 100% agree with. So meditation and mindfulness can be probably the most invaluable tools to alleviate stress. And one of the things that I'll say before the, what I agree hundred percent with, and actually I agree hundred percent with this as well, is that we, she was saying that we live in a culture that just puts a bandaid over everything, right? We're not really dealing with the, the root cause. And I'm sure you've heard me talk about this and I, and I just am in total agreement around that, that we're, we're masking our, our stress and our pain and our fear and our wounding, whether that's through watching television, um, being on social media, eating crap food, um, watching pornography. There, there's so many, um, shopping online shopping. Like there are so many things that can act as escapism to keep us from actually just dealing with the core, not the symptom, but the core of what's going on. That's creating this stress and dis-ease you could say. And, and unfortunately we get into kind of, um, bad cycles because we, you know, the, the anxiety builds up. And so maybe she was talking about how this, you know, creates insomnia. And I know people in my life that cannot fall asleep unless they have something, whether it's a sleeping pill or it's CBD or THC or having, you know, scrolling through Instagram or watching a film or falling asleep to, you know, music or falling asleep to the television or something. There is some codependency that something is going to basically distract them from their own stress and anxiety so that they can kind of trick their mind into falling asleep. And two things about that are terrible. One is it's codependency and that sucks because you're always at the mercy. You're always dependent on something. And if you don't have it, you're kind of screwed, right? And the second thing is those things aren't really that good for you anyhow, right? It's not good to fall asleep looking at the screen or I, I do know some people that will listen to a podcast before going to sleep and it'll put them to sleep. And, but you know, hopefully it's of something that's a content that's valuable, right? What are you feeding your consciousness? Just like, what are you feeding your body? If you're just watching some crap TV show before going to sleep and that's going into your consciousness and you know, sleep should be something that should be recharging and rejuvenating. It shouldn't be something that you're adding more stress to by just filling your mind with junk food before going to sleep. So I totally agree with that. But what she was talking about when saying that a meditation is an incredible tool as a means to alleviate stress, not just in the moment, but also your past stress, your past patterns, and what I would say your your initial wounding that creates the triggers and the patterns to begin with, is that we have this misconception, and this is why people don't meditate, is because the misconception is if you sit down to meditate, what you're meant to be doing is clearing your mind. And that's totally wrong. And I remember even when I was in my 20s and I had done a couple week-long meditation retreats at Spirit Rock in California, I remember them saying, you know, like the one of the, the greatest lamas or whatever, you know, the, the longest period of recorded stillness without thought 
when they were hooked up to some kind of machine that measured thoughts, I don't know what the hell it's called, 11 seconds, 11 seconds. So one thing that this woman, Emily Fletcher, was saying is that thoughts are involuntary. Our mind produces thoughts involuntarily, just like our heart beats involuntarily. And so if you cannot stop your heart from beating, you cannot stop your mind from thinking. However, what you can do is change your relationship to the thoughts that your mind is going to be thinking. So just like in the beginning, that stress isn't what's happening to you, it's the way that you respond. So take my example of I could have been in the bus, on the bus, and you know, yes, it was a sloth driver, and yes, we were stopping at every stop, and every stop was taking a long time, and you know, we got there half an hour later, but in the end it was fine. And I got onto my flight and it left on time and everything was fine. What did the stress help we, me with in that situation? Nothing. It, it worsened it for me. It worsened my experience and it, it, it broke down my body, to be honest. So Again, it's just a really good example that stress isn't, it is totally unhelpful. Now, it really deserves a lot of compassion because it's often coming from a very instinctual part of us and it's also coming from a part of us that has learned from previous experiences in our past and perhaps our childhood that kind of wired stress in our body and our nervous system and in our mind and even in our belief systems in a certain way. And, and so it requires really a lot of compassion. <clears throat> so a lot of people don't meditate. And to be honest, the way that I meditate now is very, very different to the meditation I did in my 20s when I was learning Vipassana. Now, I think these different techniques can be really incredible. And I think creating a sense of kind of discipline, because let's face it, I think our modern society, like we're all pretty damn lazy. We just really are, you know, everything is geared towards comfort, but also it is geared towards, you need to do it faster. You need to do it better. So there's kind of a a pressure, but we expect things that, you know, things should just happen like that. Right. And so we become lazy and then we don't put, we kind of give up a little bit too soon. Sometimes not all of us, but sometimes, you know, I'm sure we've all been there at some point or another, there is no perfect human being. And, and we have this expectation that things should happen quickly and with very little effort. Um, and so we also can give up very easily. But we tend to live in a society, let's put it, that is relatively lazy, especially when it comes to taking care of oneself. There's a kind of laziness. And what I mean by that, I don't mean just laziness like you're a couch potato. That's not what I mean. I mean a laziness that's, oh, but if I go do the inner work, that takes too much work. It's too much effort. So people will choose not to do that and they will choose to be in their misery and suffer and go through the same loops of anxiety because they're not willing to just open the door to themselves and do the inner work, which maybe in the beginning does take a little bit of effort, but it's a really good effort because much like if you start like doing a sport or some kind of exercise in the beginning, it feels like, 
oh God, I don't want to do this, but the payoff is so great. And especially if you do something that brings you joy, like I'm not just saying go to the gym and like grind it out. Some people, I have a friend that loves going to the gym. Some people hate going to the gym, but they might love jogging. The next person will hate jogging, but they'll love cycling. The next person will, you know, whatever, whatever it is that brings you joy, that also is the key to this, right? It should be something that brings you into a state of like, I love doing this, but the most important thing is I love doing this because it makes me feel good. And it's not just the quick fix good, like "Mm, a cookie tastes good, or for some, a cigarette might make them feel good, or for another, a drink might make them feel good. That's like the momentary fix, right? It doesn't actually make you feel good. It's just a fix, which is trying to mask the symptom and not going to the core. When you do this inner work, and I've been on this path for God, more than 20 years now. As I shared last time, what makes me feel, I'm not always happy, but what makes me feel free and what makes me feel happy and what makes me feel at peace is that I know that whatever I experience, I'm okay with it because I'm there and I'm not resisting myself and I'm not neglecting and abandoning and rejecting the reason why I say I'm not happy all the time is because that's not the pursuit. That's not what I'm in pursuit of is like, I need to just be happy and positive all the time. Like there'll be any times where I'm not going to be happy, but I'm okay. It doesn't need to be, that's not the measure of my okayness. The measure of my okayness is that whatever arises, I'm okay. I'm not like going to go into a state of, you know, that loop, that, that tail wagging the dog, that, I'm at the mercy of my anxiety or my worries or my stress or my fear. And again, I have people in my life where I can see that and I can see how it goes on repeat, you know, every month or every year or whatever it is. And it's just always really so fascinating to observe because of course it's easier to see things outside of ourselves than inside of ourselves. Now, as you've heard me talk a lot about in the past, really the first step to this is self-awareness. And so mindfulness goes into this is just, can you build the, whatever the mindfulness practice, which is really just working with your mind to be aware of your present experience. And so meditation can be a really good kind of vehicle for just sitting there and it's not about clearing your mind, like just throw that in the bin. Like it just, that is the wrong goal (laughs) and it will lead you to just be so frustrated and feel like you're failing. Really meditation and mindfulness, which are two separate things. Meditation is kind of the act of, you know, whether you're sitting Or it could be, um, you know, going through your day, but whether you're sitting with your eyes closed or you're sitting in nature and just observing, meditation is kind of like the practice of, of, you know, sitting in mindfulness. I know this is a little bit, might sound a little bit confusing. Mindfulness is more the state of awareness of I'm being mindful of what is happening in my present moment. So meditation allows me to slow down time, you could say, and what I'm doing and bring me into a state of being, right? I'm staying still. 
let's just call meditation the practice of staying still. Now, I know that there's walking meditation, but even in that, you're creating a space of stillness because you're not going into distraction. You're not doing other things. You're just literally taking step by step by step by step. But you're being mindful. So the mindfulness is the awareness that your your mind can all of a sudden, it's like utilize it in a better way. Instead of it going into unconscious thought, unconscious story and narrative, you're observing it. And and this is what I appreciated about Vipassana, um, is that it was just the awareness of like, oh, this thought is going through my mind. That story is going through my mind. Ooh, this is the sensation it brings into my body when I get caught up in that story. Oh, this is the emotion that gets triggered when I get caught up in that story. And I go down that kind of, you know, rabbit hole and play that scenario out. And then I'm invited to come back into the present moment and recognize my breath again. Now, sometimes even just that can be frustrating to people of like, oh, I don't want to be concentrating on my breath. And so my meditation practice nowadays is different than in my 20s when I was doing more of a Vipassana practice to now it's just like, okay, I'm just going to be here. I'm just going to sit with myself and I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to feel my body. I'm going to feel the tension in my belly. I'm going to feel any tension in my body and just relax for a moment. And I'm just going to allow myself to be here. And as I'm here, I might find that my mind might get distracted either into thinking or it might hear the noises outside or it might hear my belly grumbling, or it might feel the emotion, or it might go into the story of like, I don't like this and I don't want to do this, or it might go into a conversation with someone. It doesn't matter. Whatever happens is totally fine and is totally normal. And that's kind of what the process is. Like you're not doing it wrong because that's just the human experience. The act of sitting with ourselves, which I prefer almost using that term rather than meditation, because the moment we talk about meditation or mindfulness or any of these things, we all of a sudden go like, oh God, I don't know how to do that. And that's a thing. And I should know how to do it. And I'm not doing it right. And I should be doing it better. And I'm doing it wrong. Or am I doing it right? Or there, there's this whole um, set of things that come along with it that create, ironically, can create a little bit of stress. So I, I've always really liked to use the term just like sitting with myself, being with myself. And we're dropping into a state of being rather than doing. You know, a lot of people are like, how do you do meditation? Am I doing it right? Like, okay, we've missed the point if that's what we're focused on. So it's really just, I'm just going to sit here and be with myself, just like you would sit and be with a friend. Now you could sit and be with a friend and like be paying attention to your phone. God, I see that with the younger generation. They're sitting with you and they're like on, you know, responding to messages on our on social media. And you're like, dude, you're not present. They're like, yeah, 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 I'm present. I can be present in two places in one time. And it's like, no, that's, this just like, no, <laughs> you're contradicting yourself. That is not the definition of presence. So of course, when you, what I mean when you're sitting with a friend is that you're really giving that person your presence and your love and you're listening to them. You know, imagining that maybe they're going through a hard time and you're sitting there and you're just listening and you're offering your, your compassion. And if they need a hug, you're giving them a hug. If they need to just listen for you to listen, you listen with presence. If they need to hash something out and have a conversation, you have a conversation with them about it. We do the same thing inside of ourselves. 
And so being with is like, you know what, I'm just going to be here and give myself loving attention. And I know you've heard me say this so many times that you might be sick of it, but really it's that simple. And so then when you start to just practice like, okay, I'm just going to sit here and be with myself, even if it's for like 10 breaths, the first thing that you do when you wake up, you sit up and you close your eyes. You don't do anything else. You do not grab your phone. You don't do anything else. You don't even pee. You get up and you sit and you close your eyes and you just breathe in. How do I feel in this moment? Let yourself land in your body after sleep, after your dreams, before you have to get up and go to work or you know, cook breakfast or take the kids to school or whatever it is that you need to do. You take a moment for yourself. Presence is so underestimated and presence is so nourishing. It will give you the energy that you need. And the way that you begin your day really does set up your day. I notice the days where I just kind of jump out of bed or I start looking at my phone. Kind of my whole day is effed up. <laughs> like, you know, you can recalibrate and come back. But I, I've recognized now that since having this practice, which I've had for years now, that if I don't do it, I can feel the difference. I can really, really feel the difference. So your presence is such an important commodity like it is so valuable really it doesn't have a price tag <clears throat> and you just checking in with yourself and making that a daily practice where you start to really be able to understand the language of your body the language of your emotions when you go into stress when you go into anxiety and how to sit and be with that that's when you start to change the neural pathways and that's when you start to change your patterning and you don't go into that kind of triggered unconscious pattern of anxiety, of worry, of stress. And then you can make a different choice and that's evolution, right? That when you can make a different choice and you change your actions, you change your state of being. Now, what Emily Fletcher was talking about, which I really agree with, is why we often don't, you know, why we just tend to look at things symptomatically and we don't really get better is because we're not going to the core of our stress. And this is where the inner work is really important. This is why the more you sit with yourself, things will come up, even if it's five minutes a day. Things over time, because you're sifting through and you're not just dealing with like the, the superficial muck, but you're actually going through so that muck isn't there so much anymore. And you're allowing the kind of, you know, when you go into the sea and the sand kind of gets ruffled up into the water. And then it, if you stand still, the, the sand settles down to the, the sea floor and then the water becomes clear again. Then you can really start to see, well, what is on the seabed? What is really deep down within me? So I'm not just running, I'm chasing circles. I'm chasing my tail and just dealing with the symptoms and dealing with the superficial. But the more you sit with and you, you do find a greater state of calm every day or just a moment more that you can breathe before you get triggered or breathe before you get reactive, right? And so eventually what I, I learned this in my early 20s, the, the diagram was, that you have the trunk of the tree and then two branches and you can either go really quick up the, the trunk of the tree into survival mode, that's one branch, or you can slow down the process of going up the trunk and then make that choice not to go into survival but into thrive mode. And that's the conscious choice and that's where we change um, our behavior. And our behavior is what changes our reality. Our perspective is what changes our reality. So the, the 
practice, even if it's five minutes every day of just sitting and being with does have a way of just slowing things down enough so that we're not so triggered and reactive when it comes to the situations that might trigger us. Then once the water has settled, you can go in deeper and go, okay, what is driving my stress? What is driving my anxiety? And I'm not looking at for the band-aid. I'm not looking for the, you know, the Netflix series or for the, you know, the, the drink or the joint or the food or the something, the sleeping pill, the whatever the fix is, but I'm actually going to sit with what is, why am I anxious? Why am I stressed? Why am I worried? Why am I scared? And then you get really interested and, and, and you start to have a conversation with that part of you that's like, I'm stressed because I'm scared because this happened to me. This is my wound. This is what I need in order to heal that wound. And this is where I would really recommend like, you know, get someone to guide you through it. But I also don't believe you need to have therapy for the rest of your life. I think once you've moved through really the underbelly, the, the deeper layers of your, your pain and your story and your wounding and your beliefs, which sometimes that can take a while. Sometimes that, that can take years. I was listening to a short video that was saying, you know, if you, if like, let's say you're 40 years old, you have 40 years of habits and patterns and belief systems and a way of speaking to yourself and a way of showing up in relationship. Like, why would you expect you're just going to undo all of that in like a month? or a week, or in one session, you know, like, it takes time to unravel and then re kind of reprogram in a way. And like, you're, you're restructuring neural pathways, like, that takes time, and it deserves time. But with that said, I don't think it needs a lifetime. I think like anything, like you take care of your car, it needs maintenance. Um, you need to feed your body. So you, I think it can be such a supportive tool and a supportive guide, but that doesn't need to be a codependency. And it doesn't mean that you're a forever project, right? But I think once you've gone through the deeper aspects of yourself, you know, the, the, the big work, so to speak, <laughs> well, that sounds a little bit intimidating, but just the most important work that really needs your attention that for the most part, we've been completely um, blinded to our whole lives. And this is really about the journey of coming back to yourself and, and really living out of your authentic self from your authentic self. But then it's really just about a daily practice so that you're just taking care of. And this is where like, whatever tool supports you, it, it does, you know, some, it just like the type of exercise, exercise that you prefer, you might have a preference as to what kind of tool you're using. And there's so many different tools, right? There's so many different forms of meditation. There's um, all of these different tools, as I've shared in pre a previous podcasts, like the Enneagram and the human design. And there's things where you can just start to learn about yourself and understand yourself better. And once you have these kind of tools in your toolbox, it's really what is the simplest daily practice that you can have to just support you in being connected with yourself. That's really what this is, is just staying connected with yourself and not hiding from yourself and not running away from yourself, not going back into that pattern of distraction, but really just being with and staying with yourself and your experience. And it's going to be a daily practice. It's going to, you know, this is a journey till death do us part, right? 
but it doesn't have to be arduous. It can actually be something that's pleasant. It can actually be an experience that you will feel kind of like something's not right if you don't do it. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to sit in a chair or on a cushion for 30 minutes or, you know, do some like whatever mantras and, you know, whatever. For some people, that's great. But I just don't think that that's what you have to do. I think this is about a state of mind and a state of being. And it really comes back to, are you looking at yourself honestly? Are you looking at your pain? Are you looking at why you have these kind of symptoms? Why you have this pattern of behavior? And are you willing to find the courage to look and be with and love it all? So for me, it always comes back to kind of the simplicity of, are you connected with yourself? Are you present with yourself? Are you staying with yourself? And are you listening? And then once you hear whatever your being is telling you, are you giving it the nourishment that it needs in order for it to be healthy, happy, and well? And that's really what inner peace is. You know, it's being paid attention to with love and compassion and giving our being what it needs. So the invitation for you today is look at what your stress anxiety, fear, worry, what the pattern of that is, the behavior around it. And I want you to see if you can start a daily practice of just the moment you wake up, sitting up, closing your eyes, and just being with your experience. And in the beginning, it might feel really uncomfortable. I remember when I did these week-long meditation retreats, the first day or two, or maybe even day three, was like, oh, it's really could be uncomfortable. And, you know, and because you, you get confronted with the thoughts, you get confronted with the resistance or the agitation or the fatigue because you're also detoxing. You are detoxing as you're doing this process. But then if you can stay with it long enough and you get to the other side, it feels so blissful, so incredibly blissful. And I have a story around that, but I won't go into that today because it's long enough. <laughs> So the invitation is to start a little practice every day where you just sit and be with yourself. Don't worry about your thoughts. Don't worry about what's happening. You can't be doing it wrong. Just sit and be with and pay attention and give yourself presence. And then as you do that and you create more and more space for yourself, you can start to look at the deeper things. You can start with the surface. What's stressing me out? What's worrying me? What is my anxiety? All of that, you can look at that and then you go deeper into the, like, where's that coming from and why? And what does that part of me need? So as always, you can reach out if you want to have a personal one-to-one -one session to, to look at this more deeply, but these are just some thoughts and some tips and, you know, you can do it on your own. Sometimes in the beginning, it's great to have guidance, but really the point is to get to you being able to do this on your own. So there's the invitation. And as always, take it or leave it as feels right. And I'm just wishing you luck on your journey and just knowing that like you can't fuck it up. Like you can't get it wrong. Just the most important thing is that you're with yourself and you face yourself honestly. And I know that can be hard and scary and painful sometimes, but it will be the key to your liberation. Like a hundred percent, it will be. Because the worst thing we can do is pretend to be something or someone that we're not and to run away from ourselves and to ignore ourselves and then be caught in the loop of like the, the dark figure that's chasing us in the middle of the night, which is the metaphor for our anxiety and our fear. Like if you look, you will find relief. I guarantee it. Anyway, loving you from afar. 
You've been listening to Raw Conversations with Corinne Bloom. Thanks so much for showing up, listening in, and being a part of the conversation with me.